gentlemen, welcome to All Steak, No Sizzle, Honest, No BS Look at Life, Sports, Entertainment. I am your host, Devin McKenzie, here once again, the brand new episode of the Podcast Gold. I know it's a little bit late, people. I was supposed to have one out last week, but uh, let's just say uh, life got in the way. That's my excuse all the time, so I'm going to use it this time again. But uh, yeah, life got in the way. I uh, got back from a nice trip from the mean streets of Dallas, Texas, where I ran into a fellow podcaster by the name of Quentin Simpson. You might know him as Q from the Critical Dump and Chopping It Up with Q. Shout out to Q. Uh, me and Q was able to record a nice show, and uh, that'll be coming out in the future. We'll jump into that a little bit later. This episode is going to be a continuation of the series of shows talking about the integration of the schools in my parents' hometown of Quitman, Mississippi. On this week's episode, I have... Uh, person very, I'm very close to my uncle Larry. My uncle Larry is a resident of Quitman, Mississippi, currently uh, born and raised down there. Um, as you've heard in previous episodes, I had my father who attended uh, Shirley Owens or the black schools his entire life, and my mother who attended Shirley Owens most of her life, but her senior year was interrupted and she went over to the white schools or equipment high school you heard from my aunt who started off her uh, school career at Zach Huggins and now you're gonna hear from my uncle who started off at Shirley Owens elementary school and then jumped over to Zach Huggins or equipment uh, high equipment uh, school district so getting a different perspective on this episode uh, we're gonna jump into many different topics like growing up in the mean streets of Quitman, Mississippi. We uh, talked to my uncle who is currently a preacher and I get his idea of what the role of the church was in the community then and what the role should play right now. For those of you that are church goers, you'll get a kick out of that. Uh, we also talked about his time at Shirley Owens, his transition to the white school. He shares his experiences dealing with the transition from the black schools to the white schools. And he also shares a very interesting story about the lessons that the black and white students were taught in the same classroom. So stay tuned for that. So Uncle Larry, he <laughs> he's a pretty funny guy. And uh, he, he did a great job of uh, giving his recollection of his time in school. So. Stay tuned for that. And while I'm talking about my Uncle Larry, uh, let me let everybody there that is listening in the city of Quitman, Mississippi, if you are in the need of home health care, um, Uncle Larry and a few other people have started a business called Viscera Home Health Care. So if you need someone to come in, you know, help take care of you, cook and clean, anything like that, why don't you go ahead and search for Viscera Home Health Care. Uh, they will definitely uh, help you out. And I'll have more information on that in the future. And also, if you're in the equipment area, if you're looking for a church home, feel free to go fellowship with the people over at Family Life Church in Equipment, Mississippi. Once again, go ahead and look it up on the, on the interwebs, and uh, you can find all the information there. So, um, Once again, thank you, Uncle Larry, for uh, joining me on the show. And for those of you that are listening from Equipment, make sure you go back and listen to the previous episodes. Well, go ahead and just listen to all my episodes. But the ones in particular dealing with 
the integration of the schools in Quitman, Mississippi. Um, my mother, Miss Nylon McKenzie, formerly known as Nylon Green, joined me on the show to give me her story, being a part of the first integrated graduating class in Quitman. My father, Mr. Jimmy McKenzie, uh, joined me on the show to give me his recollection as the final graduating class at Shirley Owens High School. And my Aunt Joanne McKenzie joined me on the show giving me her story, being a part of that first uh, first grade class to go over to Zach Huggins High School, excuse me, elementary school at the time. And I've got more stories coming up soon. Uncle Bobby's going to be on the show. I'm looking forward to that one. That was a very good conversation. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Buddy Cameron, who just happened to be the guy that <laughs> proceeded on my parents' wedding. That was a very interesting conversation for me. So this, this series is going to continue on, and I'm working on getting some more people to uh, sit down with me and talk about uh, this story. So everybody down there, equipment, and those who just listening out there in the podcast, man, make sure you go back and listen to those and every other episode, too. And I've got some, some other amazing things coming up, working on um, some of those things right now. I, like I told you before, I talked to Mr. Quentin Simpson, uh, who is the host of the Critical Dump and Chop It Up With You podcast. We sat down and we made the Ultimate Outcast album. So that'll be coming up in the future. Um, I have some friends coming over later on this week to break down the ultimate Jay-Z album. I'm telling you right now, that has not been easy. <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of homework done on that one. But uh, we're going to sit down, we're going to try not to get too drunk, and we're, <laughs> we're going to make the ultimate Jay-Z album. So stay tuned for that. Now we got a lot more things coming up. Some, some, some big things, big things in the fire right now. Can't necessarily get into it right now, but... Um, I will announce that when the time is right. But everybody, I need you all to do me a favor. You're probably listening to this show on your phone, your tablet, your your uh, MacBook, your laptop, whatever you're listening to this show on. I want you to do me a favor. Pull up another window, and I want you to go to Facebook, and I want you to type in All Steak No Sizzle Podcast. And when it comes up, I want you to click on it. And I want you to hit that like and that follow button. Do that for me. And while you're at it, you know, go ahead and look at all the content on there on Facebook. While you're at it, open up another window and type in twitter.com, right? And I want you to look for Devin the 63 on Twitter. And you'll find me. And I want you to go ahead and hit that follow button. So go ahead and follow me on Twitter. Once again, that's Devin the 63. And just so you know how to spell it the right way, it's D-E-V-I-N-T-H-E-6-3. Yeah. And hit that follow button. And, you know, I, I know I know, it's getting a little bit cluttered, but I need you to pull up another window. And I want you to go to Instagram, and I want you to type in all steak, no sizzle. One word, just one word. And I want you to hit the follow button on there. Follow me on Instagram. And, you know, after you've done all that, go ahead and pull up one more window. And I want you to type in Google. No, 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 no. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Pull up your email app. However you send your emails, if you have an app, if, you, uh, if you're if you on Yahoo, Google, however you send emails, go to your email app and type in asnspodcast at gmail.com in the uh, address bar. Send me an email. 
Let me know what you think about the show. And, you know, while you're at it, go, go back to your, your whatever app you're using to listen to this show, whether that's, you know, SoundCloud or iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or any other podcast out that you're using to listen to me right now. I want you to hit that follow button or maybe subscribe button, whichever one. Go ahead and hit that. And, you know, while you're at it, leave a comment. Let me know what you think about this episode and previous episodes. So do me that favor. I'd greatly appreciate it. And I'm going to quit jibber-jabbering. And we're going to go ahead and jump into this conversation with my uncle, Larry McKenzie. special guest uh he is the first african-american to pilot an aircraft <laughs> he's the man that made kool-aid say oh yeah this is my uncle larry mckenzie say say hi to the people uncle larry good morning everybody <laughs> well i'm gonna give you kind of the same spiel i gave everybody else that i interviewed um well first i'm down here in equipment mississippi interviewing people about um the integration of the schools here um, I don't know if you know this, but my mother was a part of the first integrated graduating class from Quitman High School. And when I talked to her about it, uh, well, first, I didn't know that at first when I was younger. And then she kind of talked to me about it when I was younger. And I thought I'd do a whole episode talking to her about it. And I talked to her and my father. And after finding out more information, I realized that the story was a lot bigger and a lot more in-depth than I realized at first. So I thought I would talk to some of the people that were down here during that time and uh, let the listeners find out. And, you know, especially during, like, Black History Month, we have people that we talk about all the time, your Martin Luther Kings, your Malcolm X, but we don't know about the people that were there on the ground level. So I felt like you guys needed to get your story out there, too. So this is why I'm interviewing you and Aunt Joanne and many other people that were down here for the integration of the school. So... First, thank you for uh, doing this, and I just wanted to get your story. So let's start off first with how was your life growing up here in Rocky, here in Quitman, Mississippi? My life was interesting. Uh, I was considered as the rag man in the community. The rag man. The rag man. I was probably the raggediest child. And I think that was by choice. <laughs> he probably the shortest one too. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was probably the shortest, and probably wore the most raggedy clothes. Of, uh, uh, that is when I had on clothes. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of an exhibitionist. <laughs> I, I was a lot of an exhibitionist. <laughs> uh, so, so let's say when you were five or six years old, take me through a day in your life here. Shooting marbles. A day, a day in my life here in Rocky was probably a day spent shooting marbles. All day? Pretty much. So so you were able to escape all the the, the, the field work and stuff like oh, that? Oh no, you were if, <laughs> if you were if you were born in the gym in Ella Gray McKenzie family, that was that was a given that you would go into the field. Wow. Period. Whether it was to pick cotton or to pick butter beans or 
pick peas. You would go into the field to do something. Right. And, and that was the culture uh, at that time. This community uh, used to be a very agrarian community. I, I, you know, and, and as I look at it now and see how all of the places that used to be fields have grown up and they're nothing but trees now. It's, right. You know, it, it, it's really mind-boggling to know that, that all of these places, like the place where this very house sits, right. right, and at one time was a field, and in this very place where we sit right now, I've picked cotton and have chopped cotton and have pulled corn and, and anything else that you could plant in this very spot. It's grown here. Right. So... Ella Gray and Jim McKenzie had fourteen children. Uh, where where do you fall in that in that order? I'm number nine. Number nine. So you came came along a little bit later than Look, my, my father and right. and um, Red and, and uh, Roy and um, quick quick question. I meant to ask my aunt Joanne. I want to ask you now that I'm I'm thinking about it. My father used to drive the bus. Uh, down here in Mississippi, his I believe his senior year, which was 1968-69. Do you did you ever ride the bus with him? I don't think I ever rode the bus with him that I can recall. I remember my brother Roy uh, drove the school bus, and okay, I, and, I, and I very vividly remember <laughs> riding the, riding the bus with with Roy. Uh, uh, and it's interesting you say that because my senior year in high school, I also drove a school bus. It was. It was a, a, a means of, uh, of earning a few dollars right. you know, to have it in your pocket while you're, you know, during your senior year to pay for senior expense, uh, expenses. So I had the opportunity also to drive a school bus. Okay. Well, anything interesting happened when you were uh, riding with your brother Roy? My brother Roy, for some reason, the bus would always run out of gas. <laughs> and every time we... It rained. We would come through at a little, a little community called Elizabeth, and every time mm. he drove drove the bus through Elizabeth, we would end up in a ditch. <laughs> so he wasn't necessarily uh, that good at driving the bus. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't quite go that far. That far. <laughs> but it just seemed like that those two events always occurred when he drove the bus. Okay. Well, from what from the people I've talked to so far, what I've kind of gathered is, is that. Pretty much for the most part, that growing up here in equipment and in Rocky, it was two things you were going to do. You was going to work, and you was going to go exactly. to church. Exactly. Anything else you need to add to that list? That's pretty much the, the main two: work and church. There, there was literally there was literally nothing else to do. You, okay. You, you went to work and you went to church, and you, or you went to church and went to work. Okay. Okay. So uh, speak to me about going to church here. I'm, I'm assuming since pretty much the whole family went to Mount Gideon. Or and, and or James Chapel, I'm, right. basically you you went to those same two churches as right. well. Yeah. Um, what was what was it like going to church at Mount well, Gillian? Or yeah. you know, that that was during the days of the circuit riding preachers, and uh, and I remember during those days we, uh, as far as preaching is concerned, you had what we call our pastoral Sunday. It would only come once a month, and, right? And and we always looked forward to that third Sunday. <clears throat> Uh, in the month when when our pastor at that time, Reverend Richard Taylor, would come up from Hattiesburg, and uh, as one of the churches on his circuit, uh, he would he would make his way to the Rocky community on the third Saturday, and we always look forward to uh, to that third Saturday in the month when Re when Reverend Taylor would come, uh, because we knew one thing that was, that 
that somebody was going to be cooking because there was always a, a, a family that had charge of seeing after the preacher during that weekend and there was going to be okay. some cooking going on. And as kids, we would really look forward to Sunday uh, because Reverend Taylor was a coffee drinker. Okay. And we would race, little kids, we, we would race to the pastor's study to, to see who was going to get to bring coffee to the preacher <laughs> on the third Sunday. Uh, I, I remember uh, one event, uh, Pastor Taylor came to our house, and, 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 and my mom was responsible for, for fixing dinner for, for the preacher on that third Saturday. And, and, and one thing that I really admired Reverend Taylor for is that before he would eat a bite, he made sure that all of the children had eaten. Oh, that's good. That's so good. we would get to, and, and, and if he came and sat at the table, he was going to make sure that all the children were, were at the table. Well, I had the distinct honor of sitting next to him <laughs> <laughs> at dinner that particular day. And, uh -huh. and we were passing the turnip greens around. And when the turnip greens got to me, my next move was to pass them to Reverend Taylor. Uh, and before I knew it, this whole bowl of turnip green was in the preacher's lap. <laughs> oh, wow. So I, I take it that uh, Aunt Gray wasn't too happy about that. She wasn't too happy about that. But, <laughs> but Reverend Taylor, he took it like a, he took it like a sport. <laughs> you know, and, you know, and as and as anybody would, once a, a a bowl of hot turnip green hits your lap, the first thing you do is stand straight up. He just stood up and said, "Praise the Lord." <laughs> Well, good thing you said praise the Lord and not any of those, uh, those special four-letter <laughs> words. <laughs> wow. So, you know, actually that brings up something I've always wondered. This doesn't necessarily have to do about the, the interview itself, just something I've always wondered. So you were saying that basically the third Sunday is when you had the pastor there. So what happened those other Sundays? Like what did they have a, a preacher there, you know, that was like an associate preacher? pastor or anything like that that preached those other Sundays or was it just, just Sunday school? Just Sunday school, pretty much Sunday school. I think on second Sunday we would have what we call uh, uh, the Sunshine Band and that was the, that was the kids Sunday. Mm -hmm. the Sunday when all of the young people got to do their part. Uh, there was a lot of teaching going on of uh, uh, the young people on that particular on that second Sunday of, of, of how to do how to operate in church what to do what not to do right uh, uh, in church and that was that was more or less a training Sunday for for young people okay uh, I didn't mention on the first Sunday of the month uh, uh, this community is a community that has two churches one of the churches uh, is Methodist Church right. which is James Chapel and James Chapel's pastoral Sunday was on the on the first Sunday of the month Mm -hmm. And everybody in the community, Baptist, Methodist, and every and every other uh, religion would go to the Methodist church on first Sunday, and then we would all come back to the Baptist church, which is Mount Gillard, on the third Sunday. Okay. And it was a it was a community where uh, where everybody supported each other. It was a community of, of, of family support. Right. Well. I that sounds amazing because honestly, I feel like that's something that we need to get back to in, in the black community. I'm not too sure. I'm no, I'm just speaking from someone that lives in Detroit. Like we need to get back to that, having more of that sense of community, and hopefully that's still going on down here now. Not so much. Uh, okay. Everybody pretty much does the. It, not that different from people in Detroit, where everybody pretty much does their own thing. Right. Uh, there were some events growing up that we. Uh, 
that we looked forward to every year. And one of those events, uh, uh, well, actually, there were several events, but one of those were, uh, uh, like, we looked forward to the time when it came time to kill hogs. Really? And during the hog killing time, I remember my mom used to uh, uh, make a list of all of the people in the community. Right. And when you killed, when you killed a hog, I mean, everybody in the community shared in that, whether it, whether it was your hog or somebody else's, uh, everybody in the community shared in that. And she would make sure that, that everybody in the community got a piece of fresh meat to kind of help them uh, uh, get through the winter. Wow. And, and it would be the same thing with other families, that they would make their list and they would make sure there was a, it was, it was a community of sharing. Right. Uh, but now people pretty much do their own thing and right. with, with, with almost no consideration for, for anybody else. And that's the way it is even right here in rural Mississippi. Wow. Well, it sounds like we need to, to get back to that. And so another question I have is, going back to the church, um, in, in most communities, especially, you know, back then, the church was kind of the center of the community. Right. Where if anything was going on, any, you know, news that was need to be spread around in the community, basically a lot of that happened at church. Happened at church, right. right. And so I'm assuming that was pretty much the same here at James Chapel and at, at uh, Mount Gillian. So let's let's think back to when you were young and before you started going to school. Do you remember any meetings or discussion about the integration of the schools at that time? We heard a little bit about, a little few rumblings about that they were going to uh, integrate the school. And, you know, and, and our parents and, and I guess uh, black people in general uh, always looked forward to the day when conditions would get better, when uh, they would have equal opportunity with whites in the community, when, when when my child would get the opportunity to go to college or or, 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 or do this in life or do that, they always look forward to to, to uh, bettering themselves in life. Right. Okay. And but do you remember like any specific like maybe like a uh, member from the NAACP or some of those uh, those major Christian. Uh, civil rights organizations coming into this community during those times or anything like that or that might have been before your time that may have been a little bit before my time my uh, my memory of anything happening on the civil rights scene uh, had to do with the the, the, the the disappearance of those three civil rights workers I remember they would come and they would do marches but mainly the, 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 the disappearance of those three civil rights workers in uh, mm. In Philadelphia, Mississippi, mm. uh, I know even some of my older brothers and cousins had been to. I think they had been to that same rally where those guys were that night. And the difference between uh, those guys getting abducted and, and and our brothers and cousins getting abducted is the direction that they took. Hmm. Uh, uh, do, you, do you remember? Can you speak a little bit more about that that specific event? Because I've never, I don't know if I've ever heard about that. The three civil rights, the two uh, civil rights workers that comes to mind right now is James Cheney and, and the other's name was Swerner, and, and and there was another young man from Chicago. I think was it, matter of fact, he was a Caucasian that was with them that had come down to uh, uh, to march in Mississippi <coughs> to help make. Uh, 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 things better to to turn around Jim Crow if you will right uh, uh, 
they had gone to a particular rally that night, I think, in Meridian. And those three guys left the rally and headed back north up 19 towards Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas I think my brother Willie and my brother Roy, and, and I don't know if your dad was in that group or not, but I know my cousin uh, uh, Willie L. was in that group. They came back south, and like I said, that was the only difference in probably them being caught up in that same situation is that they came south as opposed to going uh, going north towards Philadelphia. But uh, if you're familiar with the, uh, uh, I don't think it's the movie Mississippi Burning, but they made them. Mm -hmm. But they made a movie about it. Okay. Uh, uh, but yeah, but these three uh, civil rights workers disappeared, and they found them buried under uh, uh, under in the middle of a pond dam. Somebody had built a brand new pond and. They had buried those bodies in that pond dam up in Philadelphia, up in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Wow, you know, and all of that. But there were I do remember the marches that that went on. I, matter of fact, I remember the, the the King March when they were at in Selma and and they marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge there in uh, in Selma. I, rem I remember that event. I was like I said, a young lad at that time. Right. But do remember, remember having seen that on TV, scenes from that on TV. We were fortunate, and we we were one of the few families in this community that were blessed to have a TV, even though it was an old black and white. <laughs> uh, but we we did have a TV, and were able to, to to see a lot of stuff and catch a lot of stuff on the news. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do a little bit of more research about that because this is the first I ever heard about that. Um, so let's, let's go back to church. So. Um, I, I don't remember if you, you answered it or not, but you don't. You say you might have been too young to remember any civil rights leaders coming to our, our the community the, out here to, to talk to the, the families about integrating. I'm sure that there were. Matter of fact, now that, I, now that I, my memory goes back, there 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 was a preacher. That the the church was the was the hub of activity right uh, uh, in the black community, and there was a there was a preacher whose last name was Killingsworth. Okay. Uh, I think Reverend Killingsworth was out of Meridian, and I know he was a, uh, a very big proponent of, of of the civil rights movement. And, and, and I remember, he, I, matter of fact, I remember hearing him. It wasn't at Mount Gilead, but it was at another church. Talk about some of the activities that they were that they were involved in, and and how the night before they had been involved in uh, in an altercation mm -hmm. with uh, with the KKK. Uh, okay. As a result of their as a result of their march, and I remember hearing talk. Like I said, it was me to talk. I remember hearing talk during those days about how out at the Shiloh Baptist Church out at Quitman, uh, that people would bring dogs and put them in the church uh, at wow. night, so that whenever the people got there for church on Sunday morning, that there was dog feces all over the church where dogs had been in the church all night. Wow. Uh, and they would have to go in and clean up behind the dogs before they could before they could have church, uh, and, and and that spawned, like I said, the church spawned a lot of uh, the the movement for change, and and, and and that was talked that was talked about in the church. Okay, <clears throat> I was uh, talking to uh, Joanne yesterday after we recorded, and she told me about an incident. I wanted to see if you had any recollection of it and I forgot what her first name was but a lady named Miss Summeroy getting slapped by a man in uh 
<laughs> well, I guess that smile says you do remember that. So, <laughs> you mind talking about yeah. that? Miss Summerall was a lady that you didn't want to slap. It didn't matter what color you were. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, 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 and I think this gentleman that slapped her may have been the chief of police. Okay. Uh, but she let the chief of police know that she wasn't the one to be slapped. <laughs> didn't it didn't matter who you were, right, or what color you were. And I, uh, and and in my recollection is that that she whooped that man until until she was satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, who was who was Miss Summerroy? Miss Sumrall, she she was a, a a promoter of the NAACP and a promoter of the civil rights movement. I think she went on to become uh, the director of the Head Start program here mm-hmm. in Clark County for for a number of years. Right. Uh, in the sum, of course, in that sum, the Sumrall family has been a very prominent family here in the, in the, in the county. But she was she was a no nonsense woman and didn't take stuff <laughs> off, of, off of anybody. Yeah, I think uh, Joanne said that she was in that Head Start program. Were you ever in, in that program? No, I didn't. I didn't go through the Head Start program. The Head Start program uh, came along mid '60s, mm-hmm. and you know, and by then I had by then I was already in. Uh, I was already in in the school system. Okay, so yeah, let's let's go ahead. And, uh, let's go ahead and jump into uh, your time in school. Um, do you remember what year you started school? I started school in 1964. 1964. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what school? What was the first school you attended? Uh, first grade. I, I I started school as a part of the Shirley Owens school system. Okay. Uh, there was two school systems at that time. If I'm sure if you've heard, right. Shirley Owens school system was the was the uh, black school system, and Zach Huggins was the was the white school system. My, so my first grade year was at uh, the the elementary school for the black kids, which was part of the Shirley Owens school system. Okay, uh, and that was in that was in 1964. Okay, uh, so how long were you in the, the Shirley Owens school system? I was there for two years, and both of those years was in the first grade. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I had the distinction of failing the first grade, or, or let me rephrase that. I had to repeat the first grade. Uh, so uh, how did uh, Paul Jim and uh, <laughs> Aunt Gray feel about that? Well, they didn't. I mean, there was re- it was one of those situations. They they weren't upset about that because there was really nothing that they could have done about it, or nothing that I could have done about it. I, I failed the first grade because I had the the misfortune. Of having the measles, the mumps, and the chicken pox all in the same year. Wow. And I really failed the first grade because I had missed too many days out of school. Oh, it wasn't, okay. it wasn't because I necessarily flunked. There were some there were some uh, books and some materials that I that I wasn't able to get through uh, or to complete because I was at home sick. Wow. So yeah. I take it that after that you got a little bit more healthy and was able to make it through. Right. I got through the first grade. Uh, the second time. Okay. So, when did you, well, uh, before we go there, what was your time like when you when you were actually in school? What was your time like at Shirley Owens? 
I enjoyed my my. I remember my my very first day of of school, the first grade, the first time. <laughs> I had a I had a teacher by the name of Miss Smith, who I thought was a very uh, lovely woman. She seemed to be very kind, very caring. Uh, and I and I used to enjoy going to school because I knew that there was lunch there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so I pretty much I assume that going at the, the Shirley Owens, you were there with a lot of your your family members, cousins, maybe even your your brothers and sisters or anything like that. Well, I had a, I had a cousin that we started out that first year together, and that well. Uh, and I remember being in the class with my cousin Barbara. We, matter of fact, we were the same age. Okay. Uh, uh, but then she went off and left me when I when I uh, <laughs> had to go back. had to go back to the first and repeat the first grade the the, uh, the second time. But I remember being there with Barbara, you know, and in the classes that that we the class that we were in with Miss Smith. We of course first grade is you stayed in that same class with that same teacher all day. And, right. And I. I that first year, I really had a good experience. Right. Now, my second year in the first grade, uh, not so much. Why uh, was your second year not so? Because you had to do it again, basically well, learn the well, same stuff over? Not necessarily because I had to do it do it again. I, I, I had a teacher that was a different kind of teacher. And, mm-hmm. and to me, that was the meanest woman on planet Earth. <laughs> wow. Uh, and, and a lot of times... You, you learn to adapt to adverse situations, and, mm-hmm. and, and many times the, the, the way I coped with that situation, I would sleep. In class? In class. You know, I, wow. I, I, would, I would go to sleep. Uh, and one incident I remember very vividly, like it was yesterday, uh, I mean, this teacher decided she was going to come in. This was at the Shirley Owens School System. This teacher decided... Uh, she was gonna come in one day, and she accused me of stealing. Really? Uh, I didn't do it, and I and I say to this day I, that, that that I didn't do it. And if it was done, I still don't know who did. But I got the whooping for it. Wow. Uh, I remember they brought in a, 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 a there was a chart, and I like I said, I remember it like it was yesterday. This. Uh, chart was a picture of the different parts of a skeleton. It started out with the toe bone. And, and, and little kids learned, we used to sing that song about the toe bone connected to the foot bone. Right. And it was that chart. And when you went through the entire chart, it put the entire skeleton together. Right. Uh, some way, somehow, this lady came to the conclusion that the screws, well, that the screws were missing out of it. Mm-hmm. And that I had taken the screws out of it. The, the only problem with that my chair was on my desk was on one side of the room and right. the, and the chart was on the other side of the room and I never went on that side of the room. Wow. Uh, so she accused me and and, and 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 after then I literally shut down. Wow. I mean and it was really not a good experience and then uh, then the rest of the year because I would go to sleep in class. I, I just felt like that I was being picked on. Wow. So at that point, were you kind of ready to get out of that school? I was, I was, I was ready to do anything. Wow. So after the second year is when you went over to uh, the Zach Huggins school system. Right. Uh, what, was, what was that experience like going from Shirley Owens, the all-black school, over to Zach Huggins the basically the all white school at this time with just a few black people there at that time. It's frightening. Uh, 
we live in a community where we really didn't have the, really didn't have that much uh, interaction with white kids at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, from time to time, you would there, there was a family that lived a little far, they lived about three miles, I guess, uh, two and a half, three miles to our east, called the Haney's. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, from time to time, you would see the Haney's come through. Right. Uh, and that was pretty much dealing with the Haney's. That was pretty much our dealing with, with white kids. Uh, and then you go to the school system where, uh, and I know in the class that I was in, I was the, on, I was the only one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a frightening, it was a frightening experience because you'd go in and I remember, I remember once the teacher assigned us our desk and then all the kids around me, they got their desk, they would either move farther to the side or they would move back or, wow. or over so that I had, uh, uh, so that either I had plenty of space or as if I had some kind of disease. Wow. So how did that make you feel as a kid that everybody is basically just you know trying to distance himself away from you all the kids? I mean it's, it's I mean it it, it it was hurtful, right? Uh, and and it really made you think what's what's wrong with me, right? Uh, and again to cope with that, I'd go to sleep. Wow. So. I know when I was in school, whenever somebody would go to sleep, the teacher didn't necessarily like that too much. So did you have any? Any backlash from teachers, you know, for you sleeping in class? None whatsoever. Really? I mean, none. Not in, at the black school or the white school. And, I get, uh, uh, and it was almost like, well, he's asleep. That's one less I have to be bothered with today. <laughs> wow. So were you able to get your classwork done? I, I, I got all of my classwork. I, I did enough to get by. Okay. Sounds sound sort of like me in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I did enough to get by. Okay. Um, so, in that first year, did you, besides, you know, the, the students basically scooting their desk away from you, did you ever have any other incidents, incidences happen with the, the students or any, even the teachers? Well, not with students or teachers. And it's just a matter of going through a, a, a situation or a period in your life when you're, by that time, I was like seven, seven, eight years old. Right. Uh, and you having no friends. There, there, there was one little boy. I guess, and this didn't come along until about the about the sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade. There was one little boy that would finally play with me, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he would play with me because he was pretty much shunned by uh, all the other white kids too. Right. Uh, there were two kinds of kids in school, or at least it was then. You had black kids. And then you had white kids that had some kind of disability, okay, who were all shunned. Uh, I remember this little boy; uh, his name was Tommy Norris. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy had a had a hearing problem, mm-hmm. and because he couldn't hear, he had a speech impediment. Right. Uh, and because Tommy was shunned by them, and I was shunned by them, that was the only person that I found that I could kind of relate with right and kind of talk to and play with during that time I remember several times going to recess you end up you know playing marbles by yourself right uh, uh, one incident I remember I think I was in the third grade uh, I got uh, I've only ever been in trouble in school twice and one of the times that I was in trouble in school I think I was in like the third grade mm-hmm. teacher had taken the class out to recess I didn't go out to recess I found this room 
that had all kinds of neat stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had card games, board games, even as simple as they were right. back then. Uh, play money. Okay. And, and that's when I learned then that, that, that white kids had been taught about money management. Really? And it been, they were being taught economics and how to count money and, and all that. And I found, so, so they went out on recess and, and I went in this room. Mm-hmm. And I played it because I had become accustomed pretty much to playing by myself. Right. Uh, uh, so I go in this room and I play uh, uh, all the recess. And now they didn't like too much about me being in that particular room because I found out where all the toys were. Right. <laughs> in that in in that room, and I, I got in trouble about that. I remember the principal was named Mr. Smith. He tanned my hide pretty good. Wow. <laughs> good for that. Next time you go to recess. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, it kind of brings up kind of an interesting question. You said you found out that they were being, the white students were being taught about money management. Mm-hmm. Were they teaching that to you too? Or no. Was, hmm. No, we got, none, we got none of that training. Even while you were at the, the white school? Right. Wow. Well, I, I think we already know why, but do you, what's your, what do you think that reason is? I had discovered their secret. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, and they and they didn't want anybody to know. They didn't want anybody to know their secret. I think it was one of those uh, one of those things where that they understood that if they educated their people to a point where that we were not educated, that they would always have the advantage. Wow, and. It's kind of I'm thinking about this now. My niece, um, she used to stay with us in Detroit, and she she started off at in the Detroit public school system, which, um, having gone through it, is not necessarily the best. Her grandmother moved out to Farmington, Michigan, which is a predominantly white suburb. You know, there's, there's black people that live out there too, but for the most part, it's a, a predominantly white suburb. And when she moved out there. I found out that they they taught a class called um, it was basically a money management class, mm-hmm. and when I found out about that class, I told my niece like you're taking that class no matter what. Like if I had to go down there and sign you up for that class myself, you're taking that class, and it goes to show that it's still going on. Right. Like you said, growing up in the Detroit public schools, so we had economics, but. We didn't learn anything about money management or anything like that. It was just, you know, okay, well, this is when the stock market started and stuff like that, history, but not how to actually manage your money. And like I said, in the predominantly white Farmington school system, they have a class that's teaching you how to balance a checkbook, how to save your money, what an IRA, what a 401K, and all that stuff is. So, see, as I was to me, like, that's still going on. Right. But it's, honestly, it's a lot I guess it's a lot worse in your situation because you were in the school in the and sp- they, they specifically didn't teach you that. Right. Like I said, I, uh, the, the, when I first went there, like I was the I was the only black kid in in that class. Right. Period. And I and I noticed that they would, you know, they break off into groups, mm-hmm. and they did this in plain sight. <laughs> so you were in the classroom. They were teaching the other students that, but. What did they have you do at that time? I would be drawing or coloring or, wow. or doing some other little menial task. 
that. Basically, just busy work. Busy keep, work. Keep you busy. Busy work. Busy work. Like, and, and I was saying, you know, that that the only, like I said, the only, and, and I, of course, it was one of, one of those things that at that time I didn't, you know, I didn't, didn't pay much attention to it, but I really, because the only, the only kid that would even associate with me there was that little boy named Tommy who had a hearing problem. Right. <laughs> and, and a speech impediment. But some, you know, through the years, the other kids began to warm up. And, and, and I, I didn't, personally, I didn't have as much problem. Our problem wasn't as much with the kids as it was with the adults. Really? Uh, I remember the, when we first started going to that school, uh, the black school, Shirley Owen School System, was still in full effect. Right. And integration was to the point where that even in this community there was two there were two school buses out here. One of the one school bus picked up all the black kids, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the school bus that uh, your dad drove and right. my brother Roy drove. And, and even when I drove, I only picked up black kids. And there were they had school buses that would run this exact same route. That picked up all the white kids. Wow! Uh, even uh, even into the seventies. Yeah, yeah, even in, even into the seventies. Wow! Like uh, 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 uh. I graduated from high school in seventy six, and even in seventy six, they were. And you're talking about now, late seventies. Right. That you still pretty much got two school buses running two running the exact same mileage, right. running the exact same route, and picking up. And picking up different kids, but they just still didn't want the black kids and the white kids even mixing it, together on the bus. Didn't mix them together, mixing together pretty much anywhere other than when you got to school. Wow! Uh, and and that was and that was really because they had to right uh, at school. But but our problem, my problem, I, I found uh, is was more hurtful coming from adults right than it was from uh, from kids. I remember this. Or even like I said, we would go, we would ride the quote unquote black bus right. to Shirley Owens High School, which was the black high school, mm-hmm. and then we would get off of our regular bus and get on another bus, and then that bus would transport us over to uh, the Zach Huggins school system. Because like I said, that first year that that they decided to start in grade, matter of fact, they called it Freedom of Choice. Okay. Was what they was the name they gave it. Right. And under freedom of choice, then they were essentially telling black parents that you can send your kids during this time. You can send your kid to either to either system. You right. Can, you go. You can attend either. You have the freedom of choice now to go to to either system. Of course, during that first, the very first year, there were only like nine or ten of us that uh, that attended. I and and I know. Uh, uh, Joanne, me and Joanne, and uh, my cousin Carolyn, and that was a couple of those Kellys mm-hmm. uh, are the ones that I can remember uh, vividly that went that first year. Like I said, there was only nine, nine or ten, wow. and, and then the second year after we didn't get gobbled up, right? <laughs> there, you know, I think the number like doubled. Uh, but I remember vividly one afternoon. School was school would normally get out at three o'clock. Mm-hmm. We would de- be dismissed like a quarter or three, so that we could go out and catch our bus back to the Shirley Owen School System, so that we could get on our regular bus to to wow. make the trip back home. So even after the integration was passed, and you, you know they had to allow you to go to schools, they still didn't want the, even the buses, the black bus, to stop off at the white school. Oh, 
No, they didn't. Because wow. I mean, they went to if 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 that black bus, if it pick, if it was, if it picked up black kids, it went to Shirley Owens. Wow. And then if black kids came to Zach Huggins, they would they they got on a bus. I think Mr. Keeler drove that bus. Yeah, that's that's the name Mr. I've heard a couple yeah, of times. Mr. Keeler drove that bus for a long time. We would get on Mr. Keeler's bus. He would. Uh, uh, bring us over to the white school and put us out, and then he would come back about a quarter or three to pick us up and take us back to Shirley Owens. Wait, uh, so that so that means that basically the black students had to get up even that much earlier so that you can get dropped off to the Shirley Owens school and then make it to Zach Huggins in time for you to um, get to the class on time, right? Uh, I want to say that we would get to that we would most buses get to school around seven thirty. Okay. And maybe five, ten, ten minutes to eight, five minutes to eight, we would load that bus and and go over to the white school so that so that by eight o'clock, a little after eight, we were we were over there. Okay. Um, when I was speaking to Joanne, she she told me about what was her second grade year. So I'm assuming this was 1966. 1966 was would have been well, well. My second grade year was 66. Okay. So. I mean, well, your second grade year at Zach Huggins. At Zach Huggins. Okay. Right. So, basically, you, both of you were in the second grade at the same time. Yeah, I, I didn't realize she had failed the second grade until yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. No, we weren't in second grade at the same time. I was I, I was still a year or so ahead of her. Sometimes these years, some, when you get our age, sometimes. Right. You, it started mixing the, together. The exact years start to run together. Right, but, but I know if I graduated from high school, 12th grade in 1976, 10 years prior to that would be 66, which would put me in the second grade. Okay. So, and you brought it, you just said it, that's what I was going to ask you about. Um, she was saying that her second grade year, she ended up having, she ended up failing, and basically she felt it was because they were trying to send a message to mm-hmm. the people in the black community that don't send your kids here. Because after that first year, you know, Really, no, nothing major happened, but then more, right? More students started Came coming to the white school. Year. So I guess that second year they said, "Well, we're going to send a message." And she said, basically, about half, maybe even a little bit more than half, ended up failing. Yeah. And, but you said you didn't even know right. that. I was in, I was in the fortunate half. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 either that, or I can say I must have been really smart. <laughs> <laughs> but you said you don't even remember I, that happening. I don't, no, I don't know. I didn't realize she had failed. The, I remember it happened. I didn't realize she had failed the second grade. Wow. So, okay. Well, you know your sister pretty well. Would, would you have imagined her failing? I, I can't imagine it even now. Wow. So, <laughs> just for the listeners, ain't Joanne's in the background cheering. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, that, matter of fact, that really took me by surprise because I, I really could, can't imagine her having failed the second grade. Because wow. she was a lot smarter than I was. Still a lot smarter <laughs> than I am. Now, don't tell her that, though. She'll get the big head. Yeah, I think I think it's growing a little bit right now. <laughs> um, so let's, let's, let's fast forward a little bit to, you said around the sixth grade is kind of when you mm-hmm. felt like people, the white students started to kind of accept you and you were a little bit more friendly towards you. What, what was that like at that point, being almost like accepted or you know white kids being a little bit more friendly towards you at that point i had a friend like i said i i did manage one friend his name was tommy norris mm-hmm. uh and by then it really didn't matter right uh i found my i 
by that time I had kind of well sixth grade I kind of found my niche, mm -hmm. and then I had a, but then I had a setback, okay. even even in that, uh, you could start in band in the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard Joanne say that she was that she was athletic. She was an athlete, and she and, and she was. I was really kind of being facetious. <laughs> uh, you know, she played sports and all that. Uh, uh, I was into music, and I got to the sixth grade, and, and and that was the time when you could join the band. Right. Uh, so I joined the band in the sixth grade, and, and I, I remember my mom. She I came home excited about uh, I had made the band, but then there was only one problem. You had to buy an instrument, Ooh. <laughs> uh, and I came home and told them how much an, how much an instrument was was going to cost, and told them I wanted to play the trumpet. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but but there's one thing that I can say about our parents: if if they thought it was going to be of benefit, right, they would make the sacrifice to to to, to put you in a position where that you could do it. Right. So they scraped up enough money to, to make a down payment on a trumpet. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so I went along in band, I guess, for a couple of months. And then they just came to the point where that they just really couldn't afford, could no longer afford to, to make the payments on, on a trumpet. I can't, I can't remember uh, uh, back then how much they were because I was a kid. Right. Uh, but then my heart was just so broken when they had, when I had to quit band wow. uh, uh, because they could no longer afford to to pay the bill to pay the the, the payment on a, on a trumpet that year. Right. Uh, but then I guess they saw that puppy dog look on my face. The next year they did buy me a trumpet. And, oh, that's good. And I was able to get back in the band the next year. Wow. Yeah, because I know um, you still you still into music now, aren't you? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> But uh, so, I, is is it fair to say that there really wasn't that many after kind of like that first year? There really wasn't that many instances with black and white students as far as like problems going on. I mean, there, there were. I mean, there were still there were still problems. Even you know, even after that first year, I, I started to tell you, and, and I think this is noteworthy. I was talking okay. about how that I thought that a lot of the hurt that we faced even in that year were from the adults as much as it was from the kids. I was like, so I tell you that I remember one evening we were on our way back to get on, we were on our way to get on the bus to go back to the to the black school and there was this group of, uh, of, of white bus drivers lined up uh, along the hall. Matter of fact, they lined both sides of the hallway and we had to go right between them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and even and even those, I mean, these were grown. These were grown men. Right. Uh, uh, that as this row of eight or nine or ten black kids walked through them, uh, that they would say that that they would say stuff like, "You got, we got these little niggas over here." And I very, very, very vividly remember one of them saying, he didn't use the word nigger, uh, uh, but he said, "We got some coons over here." Wow. And I remember thinking coons, and I started to, to, to me having grown up in the country, when you mentioned coon, I, I was thinking about the little four-legged rodent. Right. So I got to looking around to see where the coons were, not realizing at the time that he was talking about us. Right. And they would do that. I mean, they would, and sometimes they weren't, they wouldn't say anything, but they would line both sides of that hall every afternoon as we passed through there, going to get on Mr. Keeler's bus to go back to the, to the elementary school, and, I, and, and 
that's in the afternoon. But in the mornings, I remember several times being dropped off in the mornings, and and as parents dropped off their kids to go to school, I remember hearing this phrase being shouted from cars as they drove off: "Niggas go home." Wow. Yeah, you know, but it, well, that was like I said, that was during those during those first particularly that first year. Right. And I guess after they just saw the second year and the third year that we were not going away, uh, uh, that that every year one group survived, that there would be more that would that would show up. Wow. Uh, uh, like I said, I guess they just just figured out that they we 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 gotta we gotta deal with it. So whenever whenever something like that would happen, would you go back and tell Aunt Gray and, and Paul Jim about about what happened? Yes. Yeah, so, well, we could we would talk to Aunt Gray about it sometimes, and then she would. And I remember her, her, her lying to me. Well, we just gotta we just gotta pray about it. Wow. And that was that was a lot of stuff that they just prayed about because literally there was nothing. Uh, uh, there was really not a whole lot that they by themselves could have done, right? Uh, uh, because we, we, it was in an era pretty much where uh, uh, black folk were still, to a degree, afraid of what white folk would do, uh, because they still they, they were still in control. Right. They, they still control the banking. They still control the grocery stores. They still control literally, literally everything, and, and and probably just at the at a word that, that that to a degree, I mean, you could find yourself probably with a lot of your livelihood taken away. Right. Uh, so we just pressed through, outlasted, and won over. Right. When I when I talked to Bobby, um, and Bobby, he's what number thirteen out of out of the fourteen. Yeah, he think he's thirteen. Right. So he's toward, he's towards the end of you know the, the the lineage, and he's one of the younger ones. And even he was telling me that. When, even when he was coming up, he remembered how it was down here, and basically what he kept, the phrase he kept saying was that you knew your place. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like basically back then, I'm not sure how it is now, but I would assume it wouldn't be too much different, but that's that's the way it was, and that's the way they wanted to keep it that. You know, the white people were in the positions of control, and they wanted to keep black people at a lower standard, and they wanted to keep it that way so that you knew your place. Okay. Yeah, that's probably the way it was then. It's a lot different now. Okay. <laughs> now they, there may be those that would love that would love for it to be that way now, but right. that's that's not the way it is because uh, even now in, in this right here in Clark County, we have uh, blacks on the board of supervisors. Matter of fact, the, the the president of our board of supervisors right now is a is, is a young black man. We have. Uh, Blacks on the city council. We have uh, uh, the, the the vice mayor, the, the the yeah the vice mayor or the assistant mayor, whatever they called him, right. uh, 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 is you know is a black person. You know we've got uh, uh, a black judge. We have a black judge here. Uh, blacks in in just about every office that you can go to in the courthouse. So it's it's wow. a, it's a lot different. We our. Yeah, we still know our place, right. but our place has changed. I like the way you put that. I'm about to uh, remember that. That's I like that. So let's talk, let's talk about let's let's kind of get back to your school time. Let's let's talk about your high school years. How was high school going to Zach Huggins? Well, at, oh, it, it was it was no longer Zach Huggins. Then it, it, it was now the Quitman School System. Uh, I think by the time I got to 
seventh grade maybe uh, was when they fully integrated. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I, rem- I remember I remember that year. I remember the the superintendent made a speech, I guess, if you, uh, for a better way to call it. This speech was on the radio. They, they had all of us to go into a classroom, and we mm-hmm. sat in the classroom where we had to listen to the superintendent. Uh, uh, superintendent uh, was Mr. Tom Cotton, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and Mr. Cotton made this, made this speech on the radio about integration, and we all had to listen to Mr. Cotton's speech about integration. He was explaining to us about how once we come back from the Christmas holidays, right. uh, uh, where the high school was going to be and where the junior high was going to be. Because at this time, the, you know, the high school would be over at the Zach Huggins uh, building, which was a much better facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, the Shirley Owens, which was the old black high school, would become the junior high. Uh, uh, and we, we listened to Mr. Cotton's speech. Then we, when we come back after Christmas, uh, the name had changed. There was no longer a Shirley Owens. There was no longer a Zach Huggins. It was Quitman High School and Quitman Junior High. Okay. Uh, uh, you, you know, by by this time. But I but I remember us having to sit through uh, uh, Mr. Cotton's uh, uh, speech, uh, and after, and I've heard Mr. Cotton talk about this in later years mm-hmm. because as, as, as matter of fact, Mr. Cotton's son, uh, he had a son named Billy who who was in the band. Uh, Mr. Cotton's son Billy and I became friends later on in life. Right. Uh, uh, and Mr. Cotton talked about how he was, how his life was threatened after he made that speech. Or actually, wow. there was some that even threatened him before he made that speech. Wow! Uh, uh, that if they integrated the school, that what was going to happen to him and uh, uh, and, and his family. He said, but uh, uh, knowing that he had to do the right thing, he made the speech and integrated the school anyway. So here is. Here's kind of my question: Was it that he was doing the right thing, or was he doing what basically he didn't have a choice in doing at that point? I think he had a choice. I think they, that uh, I think he could have left it like it was. Really? Uh, I think he did the right thing, and I say that because uh, just last, just a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Right here in Mississippi, like I said, we still have sh- uh, shades of racism not only here in Mississippi, but I guess everywhere, but specifically in Mississippi. Right. Uh, just here within the, within the last month, uh, there was a school up in the Delta, Cleveland, Mississippi, mm. uh, to be exact. Uh, up until last week, they still had a black-white school. Uh, uh, they had a black school and a white school, and those schools just here within the last month uh, uh, integrated. Wow. So it, Mr. Cotton, it, had a, he had a choice back then. He, they could have set it up to the point where that even right now today in Quitman, they could still have a black school and a white school. Wow. You're saying this just happened a couple this, weeks ago? A here? couple of weeks ago. Wow. And here it is, 2016. Exactly. It's just now. It's, I mean, it's just, well, and, and, and then you, you have to understand, too, that Mississippi just ratified the 25th Amendment, which abolished slavery in 1992. You know what? I, I do remember that. And not, not that it's a funny joke, but my, my, uh, when I was coming down here, I was telling my, my girlfriend about how my cell phone doesn't really work down here. 
And she was like, why is that? We're like, well, baby, they just abolished slavery not too long ago down here. So it's a little slow down here. <laughs> but, it, wow. 1990, I was what? Seven years old <laughs> when uh, about yeah. slavery was abolished in, in, in the state officially of, officially in the state of Mississippi. Uh, so I mean, so you're talking about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, maybe that uh, the Cleveland School District finally decided to integrate fully integrate. Uh, I think it was the Cleveland High School and Eastside High School. Wow. Have you heard of any backlash from that? Oh, certainly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and. and, and, and when we when we talk about when you talk about racism, that's a double-edged sword. Right. And and, and it goes and it goes both ways. That's true. Yeah. There there were there were as many blacks that want to keep things just as they are. Right. As there are whites. Like now and even now even, and even back even then. back when you were coming up. Exactly. They, wow. Why do we why do we have to change? That's, why can't we just leave things the way they are? Okay, well that kind of brings up a, a good question. Let's kind of go back to when I was talking about those kind of those meetings and the, the idea of getting the black moving the black students over to the to the mm-hmm. white schools. Do you remember? You might not remember because you might have been too young. But do you remember or heard anything about anybody saying like? We don't want to do this, or why are we doing this? This isn't a good idea, or any any fight back on doing that. Sure, those questions came up back then. Right. I mean, why? Uh, 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 and because there were there were uh, uh, parents that were concerned that if we send our kids over there, something's going to happen to them. Right. Uh, so, I guess that that first group that <laughs> that they went over there, me and Joanne and my cousin Carolyn and the, those Kellys that went over there, hmm. uh, uh, in a sense, we were guinea pigs. Wow. We and, and we went to we went to test the waters and and uh, and we survived. Wait, so so what was it about Angry and Paul Jim that they were so bold and brave to to send their their babies to the white schools? You know, not knowing what was going to happen. Life that life is uncertain, and they wanted their children to have the. The, the, the opportunity to be the best that they could absolutely be, regardless of the environment, uh, if it was going to if it was going to help promote uh, them getting a good education, they right. wanted them to go where 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 they, they were where they thought a good ed, a good education opportunity would be. So they they, they didn't, and, and and two they trusted God, right. And, and, and probably that as much so or more so than anything else that they trusted God to the point that if I send my children here that God is going to take care of them. Wow. That's powerful. So let's, let's go back to your high school time. Like, what, what was high school like for you? Now, by the time I got to high school, um, a lot of the problems that they had had in the, in those earlier years had been worked out. It had been smoothed out, mm-hmm. and I had the time of my life in high school. That's good. Uh, 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 like I said, my niche was in the band. Right. Uh, uh, like I said, uh, uh, I suffered a little setback as far as band was concerned in the sixth grade because we couldn't afford the instrument. The next year, I I got my trumpet and I went back to the well. I went. I got my trumpet and and the band director. Uh, Allowed me to come back to band mm-hmm. because he saw that I, because and, and literally I, I had to 
take a lot of the initiative, particularly in music, on my own and, and, and practice to try to catch up because I had to make up. Uh, uh, Basically, a all, whole year. All the beginners were in the sixth grade. Right. But in the seventh grade, there were no beginners, so you had to have at least a year under your belt. Right. Uh, uh, so I had to make up a whole year. Wow. Uh, 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 so that I could go into the seventh grade band. Uh, but I got there and I realized that you know, I'm as smart as they are and I can play <laughs> as good uh, and, and I can play as good as them. And, and I think because of band, I had some very good experiences uh, in band. And, and, and as a matter of fact, once I got to band, I found that there were more blacks. That was the one place that I could go where that there were more black kids in one place at one time right. <laughs> than there were than there was anywhere else. Right. Not even like the, the football, the basketball team, or anything well, like that. Uh, well, I mean, they were on the football, but I was, I was not a football player. <laughs> well, at, at that time, I, like, Hank Green wouldn't let nobody play football that time. No, either. I mean, yeah, back then, see, by that, by the time I came along, I guess I could have played football, but football, playing football was not even an option. Okay. Because my older brother, Willie, had played football, and he had gotten his leg broke. Right. And he messed it up for everybody because she thought that she had this mentality that, Everybody that played football was going to get their leg broke. Right. <laughs> Matter of fact, nobody else in our family played football, I don't think, until like my brother Edward came along. He played a, uh, uh, he played a little bit, and I think, and, and I'm not sure she knew about that. Really? Uh, but then when Bobby came along, and Bobby was really good in football, she kind of embraced it a little. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, kind of softened up a little more. I think Edward kind of melted the ice a little bit, uh-huh. and then uh, Bobby come along, and he was able to play. But like I said, but I, but but my high school, year, I, I was in band, and, right. and, and band was my uh, was my niche, and, and and I really had a good high school experience uh, as a result of. Uh, being a band. And I think part of that too, I had a couple of really, uh, really good band directors who, even though they were white, mm-hmm. and it's not even matter, matter, not a matter of being, even though they were white, they were, they were white, but they were, but they were people persons and they, right. uh, uh, they cared about children. Right. Period. Uh, my, my hat's off to my very first band director was a lady named, I want to say their name, first name was Ann Reed. Mm-hmm. Uh, my hat's off to uh, uh, Miss Reed, and, and then the high school band director was a gentleman by the name of Mr. Charles Saul. Uh, and Mr. S- matter of fact, it was Mr. Saul that took me back into the band in seventh grade. Okay. Uh, and he always said, boy, I see something in you. Wow. <laughs> and, and even to the point where that uh, uh, he's Dr. Saul now, Dr. Saul and and I are very good friends even right now. Oh, that's that's good to hear. That's good to hear. So, being in the band, did that kind of make you a little bit of a popular person, or shoot you particularly because uh, uh, since I could play a little bit. Uh-huh. I mean, it was the it was the one place that I found where I found something I was good at. Right. So I would imagine, like you know, being in the band, like anytime they had like pep rallies or football games, you were there playing, leading the charge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's, let's go to your your senior year. What, what year did you graduate? Seventy six. Seventy six. Okay, so you graduated in nineteen seventy six. Uh, here you are, Larry McKenzie in the band. You feeling good about yourself? What was graduation like for you? Bittersweet. 
Uh, I still think that the class of 1976 was the best class that Quitman High School ever had, bar none. Okay. Uh, not, well, now, I may be a little bit prejudiced, but just, I still... A little, little biased, a little biased. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe just a little bit, but uh, there were, I mean, if you look at, even now, if you go back and look at the people that graduated in 1976, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would step out on a limb to say that there were, that there are more successful people right now out of the class of 1976 mm-hmm. uh, than, there, than there is out of any class uh, uh, that I can remember in recent history at Quitman High School. I mean, you every class had, you know, there'll be one or two that... Yeah, they go on to be really... Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I, I think out of the, the class of 1976, you find more people that, that, that went on to, to do great things. Okay. Uh, and I think one of the things that, that, that kind of pushed me in band, you know, you... You, one of the one of the challenges in band was always to see who was going to sit in the first in the first chair. Okay. So what was the first chair? The first chair meant that you were the best in your in your section. Okay. Uh, there were three of us. There was a a, a a young man by the name of Mike Lucas, and there was a girl by the name of Alicia Mathis, mm-hmm. uh, and then there was me. And from week to week, they never knew which one of us was going to be first chair trumpet. Wow! And so it was like a competition, and you, you, you and you had to you had to compete. If you didn't, let's say if I was first chair this week and Alicia wanted to be first chair, she had to issue me a challenge. You know, it's funny you say that. I'm thinking back to the movie uh, Drumline. Exactly. Yeah. So like, I guess it was like the last practice before the game or whatever. Mm-hmm. They would challenge. Exactly. You 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 had that kind of challenge. Wow. And and you had to be up on your game because. Uh, if I knew where Mike Lucas was, I'm sure that he would probably agree that Alicia Mathis dusted our britches <laughs> several several times. Right. But not only was the competition great, it 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 forced all of us to grow closer together. Right. Uh, uh, it meant and it, and it forced it forced a friendship. Of course, this was this was high school. Let me if I can. Oh, retract and give uh, or, or digress and give credit again to where credit is due. I was telling a friend of mine yesterday about uh, uh, how Tommy Norris had been my friend from elementary school. We came, I remember we came up uh, uh, and went to junior high school together. Tommy ended up playing football. Okay. Uh, uh, but because he had a because he had a hearing problem, uh, you know, still had some some. Uh, issues even in, in that. Right. Uh, but because Tommy and I, you know, we were close and, and, and I was someone that he could come and play with or relate to. Mm-hmm. When I got to junior high school, I realized that Tommy's, Tommy's mom worked in the cafeteria. Really? And very, a very sweet woman. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember in the cafeteria at the junior high school, uh, I would go through the I would go through the cafeteria line. Uh, back then, that cafeteria made the best yeast rolls okay. in the world, and 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 Ms. Norris would always make sure that on the day we had yeast rolls that I got an extra yeast roll. <laughs> and then we would uh, and then when I went into driver's ed, 
our driver's ed class met in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if she did that for every class or just for the class that I was in. Right. They would cook yeast rolls and she would come out to the driver's ed class and bring a big pan of yeast rolls. <laughs> we could eat all the you could eat all the yeast rolls that you that you wanted. But 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 there were some I, I had some there were some setbacks, but I had some, I had some good experiences. Uh, I guess through I didn't have the experiences that a lot of folk had. But, right. Uh, uh, and, and maybe that's because of my charming personality. <laughs> Pretty charming fellow. <laughs> uh, like I said, let's go back to your senior year. Um, basically, every whenever someone is getting ready to graduate, it's two things they look forward to usually is graduation and prom. So, what was prom like for you? I don't even want to talk about it. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> no. <laughs> Somebody asked me that question yesterday. What was the, what was the prom like? And I gave them the answer that I, that I didn't want to talk about it. But anyway, let's move on. Okay. I went to, I went to the prom my junior year. Okay. Uh, 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 uh. And that was worst night of my life. But anyway. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I'll just ask you this. Um, in 1976, do you remember there being two proms? Sure. Okay. Matter of fact, not only was there two proms, there were also two homecoming queens. Really? Yeah. Uh, 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 at homecoming, there was uh, there, there was a black prom, there was white prom. Right. There was a black homecoming queen, and there was a white homecoming queen. Hmm. Uh, the only thing that they didn't have two of, uh, you know, we would have... They would do elections throughout the school uh, for Mr. and Ms. QH, QHS. Now, as a matter of fact, there were two of them. There were two Mr. and Mrs. Quitman High Schools. There were two most likely to succeed. There were, there were two of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had the distinction of being, my senior year, of being voted Mr. Quitman High School. Really? Yeah. Uh, so I guess you were pretty popular. <laughs> my charming person. <laughs> um, I was talking, like I said, I was talking to Bobby before, and Bobby won the Zach Huggins Award mm-hmm. for. I, I'm, I'm from what he was telling me, the award was for basically the person that was really good at athletics and had the best academics. So he was the. I think he was saying that he may have been the first black student to win to that win award. the exact Huggins award right but what he was telling me was the first to win it solo right what he was telling me was before that basically they had there were two of them there's a black one and a white one but I guess he was so so good at academics and athletics that they gave him the award alone because basically there was nobody else they could really give it to that was white so were they still giving that award out when when you were yeah they, they were they were Mr. Zach Huggins from what I understand was uh had been a prominent educator mm-hmm. uh Equipment in Clark County for for a number of years, and and then when they built the new high school, mm-hmm. uh, they named that new high school after uh, uh, Mr. Zach Huggins, who had, who had been a very prominent educator in this in this county. Never knew him really, never knew that much other than other than what I've heard, and other than that, you know, and that being that that he had been an educator in this county for for a number of years, and, right, uh, to the point you know where that they named that school system. After him, and then, and then after they discontinued the high school, they they named a, there was a, an award named in his honor. And, right. and matter of fact, and they still give that Zach Huggins award today. Okay. And I and I, I even wonder today how many k- 
kids even know that that school was the Zach Huggins High School or right. who Zach Huggins Huggins was. And actually, that, that, that takes me back to something I meant to ask you before. When you were at the high, well, you, when you were at the white schools, in the sixth grade, or seventh grade is when the integration took place, mm-hmm. right? And then you had to go over to what was the old Shirley Owens building, right? At that time, did they even like talk about like Shirley Owens or what what was really going on there? But they basically just kind of erased that whole memory of what was there once. You no, know, you went over to that school, to that, that Shirley Owens building. Well, I was all I was already there. I was already at the Shirley Owens building, so that it wasn't uh, it wasn't a transition for me because I was already at that at that building. Right. Uh, we were in the first first grade. Right. Yeah. They slowly because you know with the change came a change in. Uh, mascots, a change in school colors, or, uh, uh, literally a change in everything, mm-hmm. and, and and it was and you would still hear uh, black kids talk about the Sherry Lawrence, but and it took a process of time for all of that to to be erased. And they knew they couldn't, uh, and Mr. Mr. Cotton was a very smart man. He knew that he couldn't erase it all at once, even though he. Uh, uh, was doing what he what, what he what he knew to be right. Right. Uh, uh, he couldn't. He knew that he couldn't relate. Couldn't erase all of that at one time. So it was. It was a. It was a slow process, and and you had to. You literally had to go back and teach kids. Okay, now you're part of the Quitman School System. Right. And not. This is not Zach Huggins. This is not Shirley Owen. That you're now part of the Quitman School System. Okay. So when at this time you had the Shirley Owen students and the. The white school students, exactly. like Huggins students, mixing yeah. together. Did you know notice a difference in, I guess you would say, the education level or how smart the Shirley Owens students were to where the Zach Huggins students were? Did you, did you could you tell a difference at all, or it was just all pretty much the same? I thought it was pretty much the same. I just I didn't think that one was any smarter than the, than the other. Like I said, having having spent two years in the first grade as part of the. Uh, Shirley Owens school system and then going to the Zach Huggins school system in the second grade, I didn't find myself to be any less smart than them. Matter of fact, in most cases, I found myself to be equally or more smart than they were. Okay, that's good. That's good to know. Okay, so the high school, the building, the actual building, Shirley Owens building and the Zach Huggins building, Mm -hmm. could you tell the difference in those two buildings? Oh, yeah, I mean, it was like night and day. Uh, uh, Okay. Now, and, and because I was a part of the band, I had been in the band, I had been in the band room and had observed all the band quit, equipment at the Zach Huggins High School, and then I go over and observe the same equipment at the Shirley Owens School System. I mean, it was that stuff was held together like with baling wire and duct tape. Wow! I mean, there, there was a there was a, a drastic contrast in the in the difference of the equipment. Right. Uh, just in the band program, and I can imagine it was pr- probably like that football team and, and everything else. But after a while, once the once they had to send the white students over to the Shirley Owens yeah. building, the equipment improved. Okay. Yeah, the, the, equip, the equipment had to improve. Okay. So, well, you didn't want to talk about prom, so I won't bring. That. <laughs> well, you can ask me about prom. Here, let me. I say I won't talk about prom. Here's here's what happened to my. Here's what happened uh, on my prom date. 
for the said for the sake of anonymity, <laughs> I'm going to say Jane Doe. Okay. <laughs> Jane Doe had broke up with Jack Doe. Okay. I guess a few months before the prom, and I kind of had a crush got, on Jane Doe anyway. It got quiet in here, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so since I knew Jane and Jack were no longer going together, were no longer an item, I invited Jane to be my date to the prom. Mm-hmm. So I go and pick, I get I get put on my Sunday's best, and, and I go pick up Jane for the prom, and, and we go to the prom, and and Jack is there. I don't know who he came with or if he came with anybody. But anyway, while at the prom, Jane and Jack decide they're going to get back together. Ooh. <laughs> I left you. So I, so I leave the prom by myself. Matter of fact, I leave the prom and leave Jane at the prom. Wow. Anyway, that's, that, was the, that was the one time I went to the prom. And I swore the next year I was not going back. Wow, that's kind of sad, man. <laughs> My charming personality. <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, I really don't know how to transition from that. <laughs> yeah, but that was at the that was at the black prom. Now the white prom, I, I know they had one, but I don't know where they had it. Okay, yeah. That's Matter what, of fact, they did a lot of stuff in secret. Really? Even e- e- even even then. Uh, our baccalaureate services. Matter of fact, at the end of the year, we uh, right before graduation. Right, it's like a church service. Right, we have a, have a baccalaureate service. Right. Uh, and there was a black baccalaureate service and a white baccalaureate service. And again, I don't even know where they had the white baccalaureate service. Wow. I, don't, I don't know if they had it at First Baptist or at First Methodist. <laughs> so, needless to say, there was really no mixing of the the proms at that time either. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I I still need to find out officially if this is the case, but I think Rio, your your nephew, was a part of the first class that had a combined prom, and that was in two thousand and six. So when you think back to you know when you had your prom and you said you had a separate baccalaureate, everything was separate. To think that it took what thirty years later for for it to change for it to come together, like. What, what do you think about that? It took that long from the time, I mean, you were there during the integration of the schools in the first place, and it took another 30, almost 40 years for really all of it to, to completely integrate. It's like a lot of other stuff in Mississippi. I've learned that in Mississippi, progress is very, very slow. Uh, and I say that because when I, my, my I was in education, and my first teaching job was uh, in the Newton uh, Mississippi Municipal School District, mm-hmm. and I taught in Newton for two years, and then I left and went to the state of Georgia mm-hmm. and taught in Georgia for 10 years, and at the end of that 10 years, I came back to the exact same job right. in Newton Municipal School District, and the and that program, the, the, the Newton School District, was in the exact same place 10, ten years, years later wow. than it was when I had left. Wow. So you figured, I mean, they, they were at least 10 years behind just in, you, you know, just in, in that area. Right. Uh, so when you went from, from Newton to Georgia, mm-hmm. what was, what was the, how, how big was that, that gap in between 
the two systems? Was it could you tell it was a that Georgia was a little bit more progressive? Were they about the same? Were they behind? It was kind of, you, you've seen the movie Back to the Future. Yeah, it was kind of like charging up with three hundred and seventy-five million gigawatts and shooting <laughs> into the future. Wow. Right, what what town in uh in Georgia were you teaching in? Uh, it was in Americus, Georgia. Okay. How how far is Americus from Atlanta? Uh, it's a hundred about 134 miles south of Atlanta. Okay. Just north of Albany, Georgia. Okay, I know where that is. So it's not not necessarily this was this wasn't necessarily a big city or anything like that. But still a small city in Georgia. Right. Compared to a small city in right. Mississippi, so it's kind of like a, almost like an apples for apples. Comparison as far as you know the, the type of city, not necessarily in a big city or anything like that, kind of like a rural area. Well, Americas was a little. Well, it was it was it was a little larger city than than, than Newton, Mississippi. But like, like I said, when when you consider cities in Georgia, it's probably one of the smallest cities in Georgia. Okay. So so you can say kind of apples for apples. Kind of sort of. Well, actually, I, I would say probably like moving from Meridian, moving from Newton to Meridian. Okay, it's, I see. It's about, uh, America's Georgia is kind of compatible, maybe to Meridian. Okay, so, but uh, but but Newton. Ten years later, I mean, it's still in this, uh, and I get back and I remember, wow, it's amazing how Nothing. much this place has, how much this place has not changed. Wow. <laughs> so, kind of winding up here. I told Joanne this uh, yesterday, and I want to say the same thing to you. Yeah, you weren't you weren't here at that time, but for someone to be thrust into such a adverse situation, you know, a person that started off in all black schools, and then all of a sudden you're put into a situation where you're now in an uncomfortable situation. You know the people there don't necessarily want you there, and they have to go through that. I, I told Joanne I commend Paul Jim and, and Gray for for being the leaders and taking the charge and wanting to see change and, and doing that and you know not knowing you know what was going to happen putting their babies yeah. you know in their situation and I commend them for doing that and I commend you and Aunt Joanne and my mother and everybody that uh, that dealt with that because like I was talking about Rio and Rakita you know, the younger kids that came up through that same school system. Mm-hmm. Had you guys not done that, laid down that foundation, and, and gone what you've gone through, things would have been the same or even worse for them. So, right. for you for you to to go through that and come out pretty much unscathed, to uh, lay down that foundation, you know, I, I commend you for that, and I, I want to thank you for doing that. And and I know it, it, I know it wasn't easy; it couldn't have been easy, but thank you for 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 doing that. It wasn't. It wasn't, wasn't easy. Uh, you you had asked about was any adverse. I only got into one fight at school. I only had dealing with a with a racial issue. I right. Think. I only had to, only had to fight one time. Uh, so I, I guess yeah. you you, <laughs> you sent a good enough message. It only took one time. It only took one time. <laughs> you know, and and I guess school is still the same way today. I guess you you've always got those that that, that want to be bullied. Right. Uh, you had two you, you had two kind of bullies then, and you probably still have two kind of bullies now. Uh, I know back then you had the bully that. Only wanted to bully the black kids, right? And then you have the bully that only wanted to bully girls, right? 
Well, I came across two that only wanted only wanted to bully the black kids. Right. And I just didn't feel like, matter of fact, they had kind of pushed and poked and prodded a little bit along the year. But that particular morning, I just didn't feel like being bullied. <laughs> uh, and I had made up in my mind that I was not going to be bullied today. I may be bullied tomorrow, but I am not going to be bullied today. Right. Uh, so it only took that one time. After that, it was pretty much I, done after that. Matter of fact, I've, to tell you the truth, I've really never heard of those guys since then. <laughs> you beat them up that bad? <laughs> I, I was just, they were done with me after that. Okay. Time. If I had to find I, another target. Yeah. <laughs> they had to find another target or something. I, matter of fact, I don't think either one of them, I, I remember graduating, they were in the class, I don't think either one of them made it as far as graduation. Wow. Wow. That, that tells you a lot about them. But... Is there anything else that you wanted to let the people know about or anything that you can think of that might be interesting to know about your experience coming up in school or here in uh, Quitman, Mississippi? Well, Quitman, it doesn't matter if it's Quitman, Mississippi or if it's Quitman, Georgia or Quitman, Massachusetts. Uh, we are a resilient people. Exactly. And we can outlast, we can press through, and we can win over in any adverse situation uh, that you that you bring our way. Right. Uh, you gotta have pray. You gotta have praying parents behind you, though. Right. Uh, otherwise, the situation will, will, will consume you. And I thank God for for giving us praying parents. And I think had they not been praying parents, that 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 just the integration process uh, uh, as a whole will will consume us. Right. And, and, and there's no way that we can have change or that we can affect change without us changing. We won't change, but then we, we don't want to change. Right. We've got, we've got to change. Okay. Well, well, I was going to go ahead and end it there, but it kind of brings up something else I just want to ask you real quick. Um, now in America, there's a lot of, a lot of racial tension going on right now, and it has been going on. As I'm recording this, this is after the election, so Donald Trump is the president right now. I try not to talk politics, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, it has to. So even before that, we were having a lot of racial tension in our country, dealing with like police shootings. That was the big thing that was being talked about, and now that. Trump has been elected president. There's a lot more hate crimes going on right now. As a, they always say, look to your elders for for wisdom. So, any any words of wisdom to help us younger folk and just us in, in general kind of navigate through these these times with all the racial tension going on in, in the country. It's quite. It's very simple. Number one, learn to love yourself. Okay. And then number two, learn to love your brother. Sounds simple. Very simple. Right. And if I could quote a, a passage of scripture, it would be that is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. That'll solve the whole 
political art. It'll it'll it'll, so, it'll solve America's problems. Wow. So the question is, there's a solution. Yeah. How many people can we get to follow that? To solution? do that, and, and it's all about change. Right. Not about getting them to change. We won't change. We won't change. That's W A N T. Right. But then we W O N T change. And you know, it's funny after uh, President after Trump was elected, I went on a little bit of a rant. <laughs> and at the end of it, the the main message I wanted to send was that be the change that you want to see in the world. That's it. Like you can't expect everybody else to change if. As you said, if you W-O-N-T, won't change. Exactly. So, all right, I guess we'll we'll go ahead and end it there. But, And I forgot to do this for Joanne, but I'll give you the opportunity. Is there anything that you have going on that you want to promote, advertise, that you want to let the people know about? You got a website, uh, you sell a Mary Kay products or anything like that? That you, <laughs> you got anything that you want to let the people know about? Now, for all of you that are that are listening, if you're uh, in need of home health care or home care, uh, we're, we're starting a new business in Quitman, Mississippi, Visser Home Health Care, uh, where we'll come in and do and, and attend to those who can't attend to themselves, uh, provide basic services for them, cleaning and cooking and. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I had to realize sometimes I had to pinch myself and remind myself that that, uh, that I'm I'm growing younger. <laughs> uh, so, this or home health care, you can contact us and find us on uh, uh, on the web, or you can find us in Quitman, Mississippi. And two, let me put out a shout for if you don't have anything else to do on Sunday mornings, you're always welcome to come and worship with us at the Family Life Church. It's on McCree Drive in Quitman, Mississippi. Okay. And uh, I'll get the information from you later to, uh, I'll I'll keep promoting that if you want me to. Uh, I definitely appreciate that. All right. No problem. Well, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. And that's been Larry McKenzie, and uh, we'll be right back after this. I want to thank my Uncle Larry for joining me this episode of All Steak No Sizzle. Uh, I had a really good conversation with him. I, I enjoy getting to know my Uncle Larry a little bit better, getting to know more about his uh, upbringing and his background, and hopefully uh, the family does too, and and hopefully his children get to learn a little bit about their uh, father. I know when I sat down with my mother and father and talked about you know their experiences, I learned a lot about them, and hopefully they get the same experience. And hopefully you all learn something about the integration of the schools in Quitman, Mississippi, and realizing that, hey, this, it wasn't that long ago, people. And as my uncle said, there's a school in Mississippi that just recently uh, finally integrated their schools. And like I said, that interview was done Thanksgiving weekend of 2016. So, it, I mean, realized that just a couple months before that there was a school that just finally integrated school so let you know this is an ongoing thing and it's not something that needs to be talked about and uh, 
glad that my Uncle Larry was able to share his story with me and, and all of you. So, like I said, there will be more stories to come. And next week, I think we're going to lighten things up a little. We're going to have a little bit of fun next week. We'll, we'll see uh, what's to come for next week. But once again, thank you all for listening. I really do appreciate it. All of you listening right now, do me a favor. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that follow button, whichever one is there. Leave a comment. Let me know what you thought about my Uncle Larry's story and uh, the show. And also, share this with other people. Go ahead and hit that share button. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And you know what? Hey, while you're at it, while you're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, go ahead and look me up on, start off with Twitter. Look me up on Twitter at Devin the 63 That's D-E-V-I-N-T-H-E-6-3. Uh, hit me up on Instagram at Allstake No Sizzle, one word. Go ahead and check out the Allstake No Sizzle Facebook page. Just type in Allstake No Sizzle Podcast in your search bar and it'll pop right up. And if you want to you know, share your thoughts, you have ideas for future episodes, or you just want to contact me in general, you want to be on the show, hey, I'm always looking for new guests. If you want to be on the show, hit me up. You can uh, send me an email at asnspodcast at gmail.com. That's asnspodcast at gmail.com. So once again, thank you all for listening to the show. I really do appreciate it. Once again, Uncle Larry, thank you for being on the show. I I really do appreciate it. Like I said, I appreciate getting the opportunity to know you a little bit better, sir. So with all that being said, I'll check you guys out next time.